Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the precious gifts that you have given us, your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the other precious gift that you have given us, your word, which tells us about him. Your word is so precious to us because it reveals your Son, Jesus Christ, to us. Lord, we pray that you may help us by another precious gift that you have given us, the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that he may help us this morning as we look into your word. And may he particularly be with me. Lord, help me not to say anything that is false to your word. Keep error far from my lips this morning. And may all that I say be true. And so that people here are encouraged by your word and by what I say to seek your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, today is a day where you will hear lots of good news. You hear the good news, particularly when it comes to presents. What you have actually received from other people is good news. I'm looking forward to seeing what my parents have purchased for me. I hope it is a book of some kind, but I do not know, and I assume that it will be, but I do not know the exact title and author of the books that are coming. So there is news to be had, and I'm sure it will be good news when I receive it. But there's another form of good news that we have when it comes to presents. There's the good news of seeing someone actually appreciate the gift that you give. You have this trepidation, particularly if you put a lot of thought and effort into a gift, that the other person will receive it well. And if they do, that is good news to you, that uh, that the time and effort that you put into purchasing that gift and thinking about that gift, uh, you may have even crafted the gift, that they have received it and enjoy the fact that they got it from you is good news. The other piece of good news that I'm looking forward to today is also what are we having for lunch? I don't quite know. I'm going out to my parents' place. Um, I assume there will be the usual things, but precisely what will be for dessert will be exactly the good kind of good news that I like to hear. We will hear a lot of good news today. But today is not the only day that good news happens. Good news comes to us again and again all throughout our lives, and good news has come throughout history to the lives of people, and particularly 2,000 years ago, we see some people hear some very, very good news, and that is that the Saviour of the world has come. Man has a problem with sin. You just have to look around you, look at what's in the paper, and you recognise that the world is not in the state that it should be. But a saviour has come to redeem people from their sinful behaviour. And that is very good news. So who first heard this good news? Who are the people that we're going to look at today who heard this good news 2,000 years ago? Well, my first main point this morning is that the Magi heard the good news. The Magi heard the good news. And we see this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. If you've got a black church Bible, I encourage you to have it open before you. It's page 956, and we'll be slowly working through the first couple of verses of Matthew, chapter 2. From verse 1, page 956 of the black church Bibles. Matthew, chapter 2, 956 on the black church pew Bibles. Matthew 2, verse 1, we see the Magi hear this good news. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. 
who are the Magi? Well, they're astrologers, wise men. Uh, they were generally in the east, uh, and they were basically a priestly caste of the Medes. And so we see these Magi hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, how do they hear the good news of Jesus Christ? How is it revealed to them? Well, we read there that it's because we saw his star in the east that we have come to worship him. The star, a particular star, showed them that Jesus Christ had come into the world. Now, why would they be looking at the stars? Well, as astrologers, these are people who try and predict the future and what will happen based on looking at the stars. And that's something that we still see people try and do today. And you may be interested in your horoscope and look at the paper and look at magazines and try and work out what's going to happen to you, whether this is a good day to go out of the house or whether it's a day you should really stay inside the house because something bad will happen if you go out. This is something that is not new. These magi were constantly looking at the stars and they see one particular star that indicates to them that the saviour of the world has come. Now, how did they know, though, that it was the king of the Jews? They say there in verse 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. How do they know it's Jesus' star? That it's the king of Israel's star? Well, we don't quite know, but there was an expectation throughout the world that a Messiah was coming, a very special king was coming into the world, not just within Judaism, but throughout other writings, through Greek, Roman, uh, Greek writings, Roman writings. At the time, people were expecting a great one to come. And whenever a star did show up, a major star, people did think that that was associated with different important people's birth. And so it was reasonable that if they saw an extraordinary star, they thought someone important is being born. Now, how did they link it into Jews? Well, there is actually a hint of this in the Old Testament. And we just read that passage from Numbers where Balaam, uh, an eastern prophet, actually says that a star will come out of Judah, that a star is coming that will indicate the birth of the Messiah. And that text was taken as a messianic text, announcing that Christ was to come. Now, how did the Magi latch onto that text? Did they have access to that text? Well, it's very likely they did. Balaam was an Eastern prophet. And so they may have had a record of his prophecy as well, not inside the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, but in their own writings. But we've got to remember the Magi were from the east in Babylon, which is also where Daniel, one of the Jews, and a whole bunch of other Jews, were taken in history. And they would have taken their Old Testament scriptures with them. And these astrologers, magicians, these Magi, these wise people, would have read other writings. And it's very likely they may have picked up the Old Testament scriptures there. So they latched onto this star and realized that it was indicating the king of the Jews to be born. Now, how does this fit, you might be thinking, with Christianity's condemnation of astrology? We, in the Old Testament, it is said again and again, people are not to practice astrology. Why is God suddenly using a star to indicate the birth of Jesus Christ? Are we supposed to look at our horoscopes? Are we supposed to look at the stars to see whether we should go out of the house or whether we should stay in? Well, to answer that question, we've got to really ask, what is this star? Is it a star? 
Some people think that it could be a planetary conjunction between Saturn and Jupiter, which occurred at the time, which would have shown up in the sky and been quite bright. But that occurred sort of 7 BC, and we think Jesus was born more 3-4 BC. Definitely not um, 1st AD. Uh, we, we can pretty much say that for sure, and probably not the 25th of December, like we celebrate it. Uh, that's just a convenient day, a Roman holiday. But 7 BC is a bit too early if it's a planetary conjunction. Uh, some people think it's Halley's Comet, and some of you may have even seen Halley's Comet. I passed over in the 80s. I remember going out, looking up in the sky, and not really seeing much. I was probably... Um, under 10 years of age. But, yeah, I was looking up there. Halley's Comet is there. Um, and it did pass by around this time, but it was 1211 BC, so about six years uh, too early uh, to be this star that we read of in the Scriptures. The other possibility is it's just a nova, where a star gives off a, uh, has sort of an explosion, gives off a great bit of light. Uh, and so that's what happened. Uh, one star particularly brightened up. But it's probably actually not your regular star. We can't really explain it. And why is that? Because of what happens in verse 9. If you look uh, at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, After they had heard the king, that's the Magi, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. That's very, very unusual behavior. For a star to move into a particular spot and then stop and hover there. So in the end, we've got to say this is a very miraculous occurrence. It's a very, very unusual star, if it is a star. And so it fits in with God's condemnation of astrology in looking at regular stars every day of the week and thinking that you can predict your future through them. But if a big star shows up, comes and hovers over a house, I would encourage you to go and have a look at what's inside that house because it's very, very unusual. Now, that probably answers your question about whether we should look at astrology. So we, but the main point here is that the Magi heard the good news through a star and probably through the Hebrew scriptures. They connected the dots and come here to see the king of the Jews. And how did they act when they see this star? What did they do? My second main point this morning is that the Magi acted on the news. What did they do? Well, we see that they come to Jerusalem. Verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. They follow this star and possibly some prophecies, and they act by coming on this long journey. Where did they come from? Probably Babylon is the best guess, or at least in the Arabian desert. And so they came on a pretty long and hard journey. I haven't travelled through the desert um, I haven't even flown over the desert. You can fly over to Perth. Apparently it's a pretty easy journey uh, on a plane. They give you a meal, you can watch TV. That's not the kind of trip that the Magi took. Uh, it would have been a hard journey for them, and it probably took them up to two years. How do we know that it took them probably two years? Well, because later on when Herod wants to kill off all the babies born in Bethlehem, he kills them up to the age of two years. And so he, he asked the Magi in this passage, when did this star appear? Exactly what time? And it's probably two years earlier that it appeared. And so Jesus has probably grown up a bit at this point. A lot of the nativity scenes seem to have little baby Jesus and a star hovering. No, 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 it probably appeared uh, when Jesus was born. Jesus has actually grown up a bit. 
and, uh, and when they come, he's probably running around like a little 18-month-old baby. But uh, it's definitely been a long, hard journey for them to come. They act on this news by doing hard work in coming to see this, this king of the Jews. And what else do they do? They come prepared, not to just have a gander, have a look at him and say, oh, yes, very nice. No, they come prepared to do something in particular. What do they come to do? Verse 2, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. They want to worship this king of the Jews. The word worship is a very interesting word that has been chosen here for what the Magi want to do. One sense, it can be used to show respect, to show respect to a king, to a lord, to a master, is you worship them, you, you sort of tip your hat. But it's also used pretty much exclusively in the New Testament in reference to what you do towards God. You don't worship other people. You only worship God. If you worship another person, then you're saying that they are, they are God. It's a pretty big deal that they're saying here, that we want to worship him. There's a double reference there. We want to show respect to him, but they also may unwittingly be wanting to recognize that he is God. He is extremely special. That's their action towards this good news. They do a hard journey to follow him, to see him, and they want to worship him. Now, are the Magi the only ones who hear about the Messiah? Are they the only people in this passage? No. My third main point is that Herod and the Jews also hear about the good news. How do they hear the good news? Well, they hear it from the Magi. We see that in, uh, in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, and that's directly after the Magi have spoken, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. All of Jerusalem is talking about this. These Middle Eastern characters have shown up. Very important people. What are they doing here? They've come to worship the king of the Jews. They hear this good news. They also hear the good news, not just through the Magi, though. They hear it through the Hebrew prophet, Micah, because they go to the chief priests. Verse 4, when he, that's Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. The Jews have extra information. The Magi have a little information. But the Jews here know exactly the place. The Magi said, we don't know where exactly he is to be born. Can you tell us? Here, the Jews do know exactly where he's going to be born. It's kind of like... Um, getting your news off the internet. You can either go to an online blog and you get some hints about what is going on in the world, but then there's the mainstream media. Now, some people would say the blogs are more reliable than the mainstream media, but uh, generally the mainstream media are, are a little more reliable than random websites on the internet. And this is what sort of is the difference between Magi and the Jews here. The Magi have some hints, but the Jews, with their... Old Testament prophecies know the exact place. They've got much more information than this Magi do. Uh, they really should be acting well upon this news. Do they act, though? They hear the good news. The Magi heard the good news. They acted well. Herod and the Jews, do they act upon this news? Yes, they do. 
And that's my fourth main point this morning, is that Herod and the Jews act on the news. Now, how do they act? Do you, what do you expect them to do? Well, you expect them to act much like the Magi, or actually more vigorously than the Magi, act well on the news. I mean, considering that it's their prophets who have talked about this guy, so they should act much more quickly. The other fact is it's their king of the Jews that has come. It's not the Magi's king. It's not the king of the Magi. No, it's the king of the Jews that has come. They should be acting really well. And the other reason they should act well is because Bethlehem's only six miles up the road. It's no trouble for them to get to Bethlehem. Whereas these Magi, they've travelled all through the desert, possibly two-year trip, six miles. You can walk that very quickly and go and see this king of the Jews. But how do they act? What do we read in the text there? Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. He's disturbed. What does it mean to be disturbed? What does this word mean here? Well, it's a severe disturbance in someone. There's a couple of other times that this word is used in the Bible. One is when Zechariah, uh, he goes in, he's the father of uh, John the Baptist. He goes into the temple, he's offering incense there. And very important job, he goes into a very holy place, he's offering incense there. An angel shows up next to the, the incense altar. And it says that he is Disturbed. Same Greek word here. Now that's a severe disturbance. You don't go there offering incense in a very holy place and an angel shows up right next to you and you go, oh yeah, that's disturbing, and go back to what you're doing. No, the guy is petrified. He's very upset. Another time that the word is used is when the disciples see Jesus walking on the water, coming toward them. And they go, it's a ghost. And they are terrified. Same word very, very upset about what's going on here. And Jesus has to calm him down. No, 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 it's I. I'm not a ghost. It's me. When you see someone walk on the water, it's pretty upsetting. The other time it's used is when Jesus is thinking about going to the cross. He's troubled in heart. He's disturbed. And that's not an easy kind of minor disturbance. That's a severe disturbance. And that is the disturbance that King Herod and all Jerusalem with him feel. They are scared. They're not rejoicing in this news like the Magi. They are scared. Now, why would they be scared? This is their king that's come. Well, firstly, King Herod's probably scared because this is a threat to his throne. King Herod loved his throne. He loved being king. And he wasn't actually a full Jew. His father was an Edomite. So his hold on the throne was very shaky. The only reason he was in charge was because the Romans had put him in charge. The Jews didn't want him as their king. And he loved that throne. And here we have a full-blooded Jew born in Bethlehem who is a fulfillment of Jewish prophecies. If anyone has a claim to the throne, it's going to be this guy. And King Herod knows it. And so King Herod is disturbed because he knows power... It's up for loss here if I'm not careful. And so he's disturbed. Why would all of Jerusalem be disturbed, though? Why wouldn't they embrace the news? Why would they be troubled about it? Well, commentators have a couple of different views, but I think the best one is that they're scared about what Herod will do. 
People were really afraid of Herod because he was such a tyrant and loved his throne so much. He actually killed his mother, he killed his wife, and he killed three sons, five members of his own family, to secure his throne. He was always paranoid that someone was going to take the throne off him. And so it's not surprising that he troubles the people by his possible reaction to the news. And he'd actually, towards the end of his life, when he knew his death was coming, he rounded up a whole bunch of Jewish elite, put them in prison, and said, when I die, they are all to be executed immediately. It was kind of protection so that no one would assassinate him because they knew that everybody else would die if that happened. And he also said, you know, it means that people will be upset will cry at my death. You want people to be upset when you die. And so his way of getting people to be upset and not rejoice was if I murder a whole bunch of people when I die, everybody will be upset that I died. One of the, uh, Caesar Augustus, the emperor, he actually said about Herod, I would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son because I've got a less chance of dying because he's kind of sympathy to Jews so he wouldn't kill pigs but he's more likely to kill me if I'm his son. People were severely scared of Herod and what he could do. And to know that a king has been born who's a challenge to Herod's throne, it's not surprising that they're all very disturbed and worried about what he might do. And we see evidence of that later on in the New Testament, the next passage after the one we read this morning, where he kills off all those little infants, all those little boys. These people had a right to be disturbed about what has happened in the king of the Jews being born. But really, they should have rejoiced that a king is coming, that he's going to overthrow Herod the tyrant. So we've seen two groups hear the news, and we've seen two reactions. But what's interesting for us today is that these two reactions still occur. And that's my fifth last main point this morning, is that people still act the same way to the news. People still hear the news today that Jesus Christ has come into the world. He has been born. He is here to save us from our sins. And some people act like the Magi. They embrace the news. They rejoice about it. They investigate on the news and want to know more. And they want to worship him as God. Some people embrace the news and rejoice over it. But others today are still like Herod and still like the Jews. When they hear the news, they are disturbed. They don't like the news. Why is that? Because they know there are and could be quite painful consequences to the fact that the king of the Jews has been born. What are the painful consequences of hearing the news and embracing it? Well, the painful consequence is that you're going to have to give up lordship of your life and the many sins that you cherish and enjoy and have Jesus as lord of your life, as king, instead of you. And like King Herod, you like your power. We all love to be in charge. You see it from very young age. Kids like to be in charge of their own lives, and so do adults. We are all like King Herod. People react the same way. They are afraid. They are disturbed, severely disturbed, by this news that Jesus has come as king of everyone, has come to rule people's lives. So which are you? 
When you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, how do you react? Do you react like the Magi and embrace this and think, great, my sins can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. He has come into the world and he is someone that I want to worship as a true and living God. Or do you react like Herod and the rest of the Jews? You're just simply troubled by the fact that someone else should be in charge of your life. Someone else should be saying what you should and shouldn't do. And so you want to reject him. You want to get rid of him like Herod wanted to get rid of Jesus Christ. Well, if that's you, realise that one day Jesus will be in charge of you. You might resist and rebel right now, but like King Herod, you will die one day and you will be submissive to Jesus Christ. There is another life after this. And all those who didn't embrace Jesus in this life are sentenced to a place they do not want to go for eternal punishment. Do not do it. Do not be like King Herod and the rest of the Jews and be disturbed at the news of Jesus Christ. But embrace it that the Saviour of the world has come and deserves your worship. This really is good news. We call the news of Christianity good. And it's because it really is. It is so much better to have Jesus telling you how to live. You will have such a more peaceful life, such a more prosperous life, maybe not materially, but in your heart you will have a peace that you cannot find anywhere else as you rule your own life. This is good news. Your guilt can be removed. Your sins can be paid for in Jesus. Don't be like Herod and the rest of the Jews. Be like the Magi. They didn't know that much, but they were willing to find out more. And they were willing to worship Jesus Christ. How do you worship him? How do you accept Jesus? How do you put him as your king? Well, you repent of your sins. You say you are sorry for what you have done. And trust that he died for you. That is the greatest act of worship you can do for our God, Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him today. Don't be like King Herod and be disturbed about your loss of power. But instead embrace Jesus and start to live according to his ways rather than your own. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you did send your Son into the world. Lord, we see that this news of his birth is not received in the same way by everyone. Lord, we see how terrible was the behaviour of King Herod and the Jews, that they were simply concerned about what would happen to them and that they would have to submit to harsh conditions. Lord, we pray that we may not be like them, that we may see that this is truly good news, that we may see our sin for what it really is, a horrible thing that is destroying us in this life and destroying us in the next. 
Lord, we thank you for the blessing it is to have your commands as to how we should live and behave and that you know how best we should live because you have created us. Lord, may everyone in this room want to be like the Magi and may they be like the Magi. They hear the good news, they make the long, hard journey and they worship Jesus Christ. Lord, this is truly good news, better news than we can hear about presents today, the presents we give, the presents we receive, better news than we will hear about what we're having for lunch, what we're having for dessert. Lord, this is such tremendous news that the Saviour of the world has come and our sin can finally be paid for. We pray that everyone will embrace this news and embrace it well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.